number one, always start with where, and, and that is where the inclusion journey really starts, right? Uh, DNI practitioners and a lot of HR professionals talk about start where, where you're at, meet them where you're at or they're at. Um, it's really about starting where your company's at and, and really coming up with not just a list of aspirations, but maybe a list of derailments. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing about a topic that we talk about a lot in the podcast and in a lot of the things that we do in Hacking HR, and that is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And we talk so much about that because there's still a lot of work to do to build truly diverse, truly equitable, truly inclusive organizations where people feel that they belong. There's still, we have, we have done a lot of work so far, but in my view, the road ahead of us is so much longer than all that we have traversed until now. So it is on the one hand, a little worrisome that we continue to talk about it and things move, but they move a little slower. But on the other hand, I think it's an exciting journey because we are living at times when we can be so creative about how to build truly diverse, inclusive, and equitable organizations that uh, it's exciting to be able to live at a time when we can make change and we can have this change, uh, hopefully create better organizations and better societies. And we're going to talk about DEI together with the data, the science, the evidence-based approach that backs up or that back up all the work that needs to happen in the DEI and B space. We're gonna have this conversation with somebody who has been in the space of DEI for a long time, bringing uh, his focus on how to build relationships, how to uh, connect data with DEI, with leadership, with uh, leadership models. He is a doctor uh, in uh, organizational leadership and management. And well, I am excited about this conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Enrique. Thank you for that uh, very enthused, very uplifting uh, introduction. I hope, well, let's set the bar just a little bit lower so I can meet it and hopefully exceed it, but I appreciate that. that I'm sure really it's going to be, I'm, I'm sure well. it's going to be great. And <laughs> I am truly excited to have you with me today. And, and I know you're very passionate about DEI and you add, you know, the component of the component of science, data, evidence-based approach, which is the one component that I see a lot of people who are very passionate about DEI lacking. You know, it's not enough to just come to an organization and say, this is the right thing to do for the humans, which is true. But if you add a layer of data, of evidence, of science behind it, then you are building a much stronger case than just saying, we should do this because it's the right thing to do, right? Um, so tell me, how do we connect data, science, and DEI? What, what are the connecting dots between these two sort of uh, components? That's a really good question. I, I think number one, always start with where, and, and that is where the inclusion journey really starts, right? Uh, DNI practitioners and a lot of HR professionals talk about start where, where you're at, meet them where you're at or they're at. Um, it's really about starting where your company's at and, and really coming up with not just a list of aspirations, but maybe a list of derailments, let's call it that. Um, before you start to investigate, you know, what you want to do, what you want to change, figure out all the things that are really derailing the behaviors, right? And that is that qualitative research, right? Do it from any data point you can, focus groups, 
uh, retention groups, uh, talk with your acquisition partners, talk with your offboarding partners, right? Employee relations, talk with operations a little bit. You know, what, you know, if you do do a stay survey, figure out what are the derailments that are going on. And a lot of it has to do with where collaboration. Let's focus in on collaboration because I think that's where inclusivity really starts or the lack of collaboration, right? So start there, develop a problem statement. And that is where the science comes in. Develop what the problems you have and be okay with the problems, I would say is step number two. So of course the focus groups, figure out that, then figure out you know exactly what the problem statement is before you go seek the evidence base. Evidence-based research, you know, we think about that step three is really doing, and, and this is going to be the word that you're not going to really be so enthused about, but it's a real, it's not using just stagnant data, singular kind of data points, but something that you can create a regression with, right? So that could be your actual engagement survey, whatever data points you do have, start with PeopleSoft and Workday, whatever data you do have, but something you can do a regression that will actually show you different parts of what is really significant or predictor in that area. And I think that's where, you know, and I'll just, I'll, I'll end here and open up for, you know, a follow-up question, but the problem statement should still focus in on this collaboration or this inclusivity. Yeah. And I am biased, you know, I, as a person that looks at, is not supposed to be biased. I recognize my own bias, but my bias is towards inclusivity and curiosity, openness, and developing a problem statement around that. Why are we not more open or why is there not more openness and creativity or collaboration in in certain units or organization as a whole, or maybe kind of business units, et cetera, and then trying to figure out where our real problems are. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And and I love that you talked about the uh, sort of the word and the idea of uh, identifying the railers. <laughs> you know, a few months ago, we had a we had a panel in Hacking HR, and actually, the title of the panel was identifying the railers of DEI and what to do about that, right, or something along those lines. Uh, and it was precisely uh, doing an exercise of saying what can go wrong, uh, especially when we talk about something that it, it's not it's 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 very human when we have conversations about DEI and we all have our biases and we all have our different perspectives and therefore somebody may not see the things in the same way that others are seeing it so therefore they can be an obstacle or they can be a derailer themselves or maybe we don't get the resources whatever it is but I love that you talked about that but I, I, want, I wanted to ask you, you you talked about problem statement identifying the railers and the challenges to collaboration to inclusivity what I know this varies from company to company, from industry to industry, but what are the most common derailers? What are the most common obstacles to building an inclusive, diverse, and equitable organization? Something that you say, you know, these two or three happen everywhere. That's good. Um, I'm going to go back to the basics. Yeah. If you, if anybody, uh, any of the listeners here, would be really intrigued to search for diversity wheel. Uh, So do a search of the diversity wheel and you'll find many, many models like that, but they're very similar and they're well-researched and they've been around for many, many, many years. So diversity wheel and what I find the same at the very very core of a diversity wheel is your personality, right? So we often talk about introverts, extroverts. So, if you think about the derailment of, of being introverted or extroverted, an extrovert can definitely take over a meeting, 
right? Whether even in virtual setting can take over meetings. So that opinion, when you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, it's about lived experiences. Your lived experiences are natural. It creates friction. Reducing that friction will actually create some sort of exposure, opportunity, and mobility for others. That's a simple formula, right? But think about that friction of a personality of too many extroverts and maybe a, a setting an introvert doesn't get to express that opinion. Therefore, the mobility exposure for a project doesn't come up, right? If I'm much more introverted, you know, and we're in a team meeting, I often uh, see that so uh, often a lot. And that's also a part of your personality. Uh, or I'm part of your identity is being introvert, extroverted. And your extroverts are going to be the ones to get a lot of that exposure and projects. Oh, well, you know, Frank or Enrique, they're always speaking up. They must definitely, you know, be engaged and want that. It's not that. We're just, we need more of a one-on-one for introversion, right? We need, we need that. And then my opinions are being expressed. So it's a lot of opinion and sharing and things like that. I would say on the diversity wheel, the second layer are the identities. And that's where the biases really start to come, where I, I perceive based on my lived experiences, if I'm that person in power, right, or positional power or authority in the workplace, you know, there's biases. They're, they're natural. Do you own them or do you not? Yeah. And so when you're engaging with others based on the way you look, right, and now you start talking about age perception, I often see that race, ethnicity, uh, there's so many other in the diversity wheels that that first identity, what you see with your eyes, if you don't have visual imp- uh, impairments, right? Yeah. So 80% how you take in that world. And I see that often. Well, they, you know, you know, they're, they're little, uh, and they're just, they're used different words. Yeah. I would say, wow, maybe they don't have those lived experiences to, to, for this project, et cetera. I see that the redundancy on that, it just looks different. And I would say the third layer in a diversity wheel that I also see in the workplace often is seniority organizational identity. Mm. So your seniority and status title right away. And that's research base is that your title creates excitement. Yeah. I come onto an, a stage or you come onto a stage, stage and I say, you know, hacking HR's founder, <laughs> Enrique, right, Rubio. That creates a sense of excitement. Those titles in the workplace are the same thing. Yeah. Uh, well, so-and-so, well, they're just a frontline person or so-and-so, ah, they don't have that background that says so. And that's part of your identity in diversity, equity, inclusion as well as your seniority, yeah. uh, you know, background, things that they would have to, beyond title though too, is something that they would have to ask something about you. So this can include parental status. Uh, things about uh, maybe religion and culture, uh, but also geography, right? You can get excluded in a virtual world. Uh, we often forget we are very uh, exclusive in our time zone. So these are the three things I would say the personality, you know, the second layer of identities. I see that a lot people being excluded by natural biases. I say that's where a lot of the exclusion and biases really take place. And then that kind of outer third layer, I see that so often. Yeah, I, I well, th- thank you for bringing all those up. And I think there is, um, again, a great opportunity for us to do an exercise in, of, you know, in, in saying all of these biases and all of these layers, how they impact work on a day-to-day, right? I mean, how those titles, how those identities, you know, how the time zone, you know, even those things that may sound mundane, they, they truly are not, right? They, they mm-hmm. in one way or another, uh, they impact the way we operate at work. Uh, Frank, let me ask you this. How do we bring the data element to the to the equation of building a case for more diversity, for more 
uh, equity, for more inclusion, more belonging in the organization? What, what is the role that data plays in all of this thing? So I alluded to it earlier is, yeah. is connecting these points to, if you don't have that data, start to seek it, start to think about it at least, and be able to do, uh, you know, if you have a, a well-built out HR team, as some may have, depending on the size of your company, your people analytics folks may be able to assist on doing some regression and connecting, creating a link in all this data. So I just brought up the three kind of big areas, right? And if you go search for diversity wheel, look at all those identifiers yeah. and see if you can link them and do a regression so that you'll actually see the statistical significance of what's really driving, you know, certain parts, what's really driving engagement, um, empowerment, what's really driving authenticity, what's really draw, drawing some sort of behavior that, remember I was talking about that uh, aspirational goal, right, or derailments, but all these catchphrases that we often talk about in leadership. So you also talked about leadership. I don't, whatever leadership model you prescribe towards, one of the, if you really, really look at them and, and do your research on them, they all have something similar. And it's the development of others. Yeah. Altruistically. So servant leadership, altruistically serving others. Uh, you start to think about authenticity, right? So sharing something about yourself, but in the intent to seek out others' opinions and develop them as well, right? So being very authentic though, with your trials and tribulations, you know, that data part of it, being able to do a regression that you don't often see. Siri's asking me to say that again, uh, but Siri's yeah, looking for the diversity. I know Siri's looking for the answer to say that again. I really yeah, want yeah, to like, attention. Like, <laughs> real time, real time search. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but you know that that data part is really doing a regression of that, and then spitting out the data and not looking at what the market is looking at just yet. Look at your internal behaviors, yeah. right? Because I'll give you I'll give you two examples. You know, authenticity is often talked about within diverse equity inclusion, bring your authentic self. But let me tell you, if you as a leader were to drive a lot of authenticity, specifically self-awareness, you may also drive attrition. Yeah. And let me tell you why, because if I raise your awareness of yourself, you may look at your environment of your organization and say, I've outgrown this. Yeah. So do you really want to drive that? Or is it maybe your moral ethical compass, that, that compass that you want to project onto others. While so many changes are going on, this leader of mine really stays very kind of true to themselves, very even kill, very, you know, these are the top two or three things that drive us here, no matter what's going on. Gosh, that really is inspiring right there. That will raise retention. That's that part, the business case of, okay, great. This is best practice, this is best practice. But here in this organization, this is what the best practice is based on our data. Then add that layer of this is what our competitors do and this is how we are doing it better. It's that problem statement, right? It's like the pitch, what you do in front of a board, what you have to do in front of your executive leaders, what you have to do with other partners. You have to create that pitch, which is a problem statement. Here's how I solve it. Here's what we're doing. Here's what our competitors are doing. Here's how we do it better or different. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Frank. You will, no, you no. <laughs> no, I, I was gonna say that that's a, that's a that's powerful, and it's um, it's a fantastic way for HR to think very holistically about the, how they can put forward a a business case for transforming culture or you know re redesigning 
whatever process they need to redesign. We're getting closer, very close actually to the end of the, uh, to the end of our time. Oh, already. Uh, uh, together already, <laughs> time, time flies, uh, Frank. And I want to ask you one last question. If there, if there is one thing that you would love HR people to learn, to be able to be better at connecting the dots, connecting all the dots that you described today, you know, DEI, evidence-based, data, competitors, this authenticity of what the organization truly is about and how they behave. If there was one thing that you would want HR to learn to be able to connect all of those dots, what would that thing be? One thing that they can have as a homework after this podcast. <laughs> I, will, I will say this, that by nature, a lot of us in, in human resources, because that human element, we're already very creative, curious. I would say one thing we need to learn is how to increase the creativity of others mm. and allow for that space. Um, it's already there. And you'll see it in a lot of our meetings, right? We often open up our meetings. How's everybody doing? Checking in. Then we finally get to the, the business piece of whatever we're having to get accomplished in our meetings. Maybe we end with check-ins, right? Or just takeaways, right? We're really good about that. And in others, in my experiences in operations, when you literally create a, a, a meeting, instead of calling it a meeting, call it a connect, call it a connection, call it a catch-up time. When you work with other leaders and operations and just say, look, I don't have an agenda. I just want to, uh, you know, talk about some creative things going on, uh, some pain points that you have. That's what I'm talking about, the creativity. We need to really learn to increase the creativity of others because creativity is the cornerstone or foundation of collaboration. Yeah. And it's also a lot of the curiosity that we often talk about, which is openness. And that is that diverse viewpoints that we'll, we'll get across as, uh, as true partners of the business. Yeah, well, I, I love that. And increasing that creativity in others, powerful, powerful <laughs> uh, recommendations. So Frank, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing all of these awesome insights with me and of course with the uh, Hacking HR community. Thank you so oh, much. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you everyone. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR podcast. I will see you all soon. Thank you. Thank you everybody for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.